Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We got a lot to talk about today, Horwat. Is it a Pittsburgh Penguins season if there isn't already multiple injury reports that we have to get into early in the show? We're not even four whole preseason games in. We're, mm-hmm. we're like one dress rehearsal game in where we still have over 50 guys on the roster. And we're <laughs> discussing guys going on the IL. Sorry, baseball mode. On the... Uh, I forget the name for it now. But yeah, on the injured reserve. We're talking about guys that are about to be... I mean, it, nothing seems serious yet, so that's a bonus. But man, guys missing time already? The injury bug is in midseason form, guys. That's all there is to it. And as Hunter Hody's a good friend of the show, said, we are officially back to the Pittsburgh Penguins season. But we have that to discuss. And then I I, I buried the lead, Horwat. The sky is falling, don't you know? The Penguins lost 6-2 to the Detroit Red Wings on Tuesday in a dress rehearsal game where they played all their NHL starters, or the majority, I should say, of their NHL starters, against the Grand Rapids Griffiths, or whatever the AHL team for the uh, Detroit Red Wings is. And uh, the Penguins lost 6-2. Power play looked awful. The sky is falling. The season is over. Do you know that, Horwat? Did, did, you, did you know that the season is already over before it begins? Yeah, I was about to say, a 6-2 to two loss, or as a grumpy old Ginzer would call it, again, mid-season form. <laughs> now, I, aside from the power play issues in that game, I could not be bothered to care. Hence the reason the only thing we're going to talk about is the lineup and the implications of the lineup and the power play struggles in the second segment. Yeah, it's... I just couldn't be bothered to care that much about it. It's <laughs> Sure, yeah, it's everyone's first... You know, first time back on the ice since losing in the playoffs. I and it should bring up there should be a little bit of fire there, mm-hmm. um, but you have to figure from a goalie's perspective. We played with Jari and DeSmith, who are going to be the one and two this year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Mm-hmm. Do you want them doing cross creases like that in the preseason? You want them trying to go all out to make saves? No, no, they don't want. Neither do they because it is the preseason. They don't want to get hurt before the real game starts. It's like an all-star game for a goalie. It's it's great to be there. It's good to get a rep in or two, and it's good to represent. But at the end of the day, you're just trying not to get hurt and make sure you're staying warm. I think that can go for everybody on the ice. Now, I, I don't want to say that there's no issues with the way that they played. There are, but also it's preseason. That's, mm-hmm. that's the point, to find out what issues you do have. And you could tell... By the end of that game, once they went down 5-2, to two, they had no interest in playing in that game anymore. And we'll discuss more about that later. But the first thing that we should talk about right now are the injuries because those are very real things to discuss when it comes to the regular season team. Now, of course, Jeff Carter, we reported on Monday, was day-to-day 
with an upper body injury. It seems like he should be good to go by the open of the season, which is two weeks away still. So if he's day-to-day at this point, you would expect that he will be in the lineup as the Penguins' third-line center as the season begins. So not much to take away from that one. But the unknown with the injury that we found out yesterday, which was Teddy Bluger also out with an upper body injury. He left practice early on Wednesday morning, which means now the third and fourth line center as of right now are not currently healthy for the Penguins. And we're back. Yeah, this is where this is a similar situation to where we were last year, except that we were missing the first and second line centers. Yeah. Um, thankfully, nothing seems serious quite yet. Um, we just can't identify the injuries, and that's just that's the way it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, like we had discussed during the last episode, we didn't see Jeff Carter get injured in in the scrimmage. We were just kind of mm-hmm. made aware of it. Um, and this one again, we didn't see it. This Teddy Bluger one, we didn't see what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one seemed to really see what happened. Once again, they all just kind of noticed. Hey, Teddy Bluger's all of a sudden not on the ice found out later he's just being evaluated for an upper body injury and oh by the way missing in all of this is Kasperi Kapanen's illness yeah but I, I don't think that that is, is no, it's very serious either uh yeah he he's not gonna be probably not at practice today uh but he's probably gonna end up playing in the next preseason game which is I believe either Friday or Saturday I can't think off the top of my head but nonetheless the Teddy Bluger injury to me is I mean even though Jeff Carter's injury is not going to keep him out at the beginning of the season. Teddy Bluger being injured, if it is any significant time, which you don't know, because like you mentioned, when people don't notice it, I believe Taylor Haas of DK Pittsburgh Sports said she thought it was an equipment issue at first. So when people don't notice it that little, that's when you think, okay, if it's an upper body injury, maybe it's not that bad. We had the same discussion about Carter on Monday. But if Bluger is not ready for the beginning of the season, I think it's a bigger deal uh, than, than Jeff Carter, because Teddy Bluger is a guy that one of the best fourth line centers in the National Hockey League. He's a guy that we saw in person that his offensive game is going to to play a role this year. We think he's going to be better on that side of the puck. So we have to hope that Teddy Bluger can get better and hopefully uh, can fill in with a fourth line center role very well. But even if Carter was going to be out, we would hope that that Teddy Bluger would be healthy. So my question to you, Horwat, is who could fill in as that fourth line center if if Bluger is out? On that fourth line center role, it could go to really I, really just about anyone. We've seen Redeem Zahorn to take some draws uh, and practice this way at center. We saw him doing it in Wilkesbury at the end of last season. I mean, Sam Poulin could make an interesting case. I don't think you want to pin him on the fourth line immediately, but that is an interesting case study right there to have. If if they're both out to miss time on the regular season, he could be the third line center then, trying to get him into that. If you really do want to give that kid his shot finally in the NHL, I think those two could make solid strides. I'm trying to just remember who else plays center as depth options on this team. We know Ryan Paling might be able to slip in there as well, uh, but he might make the regular roster just in general. So between those three, I think that's where my, I think those are the rings I'd put my hat in. Razim Zahorna might be the leader of that group, though, um, just because he seems to have gained a step all through camp. Um, when you gain a step of speed and still have that size and can also add on some stick handling, that's hard, extremely hard to be ignored and well-deserving of a proper look. So I think Zahorna might be leading that race mm-hmm. for me if... Uh, Bluger is out into the season. Uh, but if they're both out into the season, 
things are going to get very interesting very quickly. Yeah, and I agree that that's probably the three guys, O'Connor, Zahorna, Peleg. Now, Mike Sullivan has said already in this camp that Drew O'Connor probably fits better as a winger at the NHL level, which is fair, but he does have that center capability and he can play it in a pinch. But I agree with you. I said it on Monday. I'll say it again when we talk about the lineup that we saw on Tuesday. Radim Zahorda has been one of the most impressive guys at Penguins training camp. Not to say that he's the best guy out there, but he's the guy that's making the most noticeable strides. It's the guy we're trying to look for is who is the guy that's going to step in and show that he's way better than he was last season. And Zahorna has been that guy. Everybody has noticed it. And But Paling, I think, has a leg up on, on everybody else because he came in on that trade. He's a big guy. He can play that penalty kill position. He can play a really tough game. He can play that third to fourth line swing spot. So I feel like if it's just one player, Paling ends up being that, that fourth line center. But if it is both of them, it's probably Paling and Zahorna. So that, that I do agree on with you. But, you know, you hope that whatever is wrong with Teddy Bluger does not keep him out past the two-week point. And with it being a non-contact or non-noticeable upper body injury again, we would expect that two weeks should be enough to rehab whatever is injuring him and hope that it's not something that will linger through until the beginning of the season. One can only hope. We're only hoping for the best here, like I said, because it wasn't a noticeable stop the practice injury. It's uh, And we are hearing it's upper body. Is it, it is at least a little more hopeful. And the, mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, we're just being hopeful on it. And if need be, we have guys that can fill in, which is also a bonus. Mm -hmm. Speaking of guys that can fill in, I want to talk about the preseason dress rehearsal lineup that we saw. Because on Tuesday, the Penguins took on the Red Wings. It didn't go as planned as uh, we already noted on this show. But the Pittsburgh Penguins had an interesting lineup because they trotted out what is going to be the majority of their starting lineup in the National Hockey League. Obviously, top six of Crosby, Gensel, uh, Raquel, Rust, Zucker, Malkin were all out there. The entire Penguins' third line was inactive, as I bring this up for our YouTube viewers. The entire third line was inactive. Carter, of course, dealing with that injury. Danton Heinen given the day off. He did play on Sunday in one of the split squad games. And Kasperi Kapanen, who was slated to play in this one, you mentioned earlier, Horwat, he missed the game due to illness. Did not return to practice on Wednesday. We'll see what happens here early Thursday morning if he's able to get back to practice. So the entire third line not out there. You see Bluger McGinn elevated. Zahorna gets put on that line, which again, with Redeem Zahorna, the way that he has played in camp, this feels like a reward for him to, hey, not only are you coming in the lineup, not only are you going to fill in where Kasperi Kaplan immediately was going to be, but we're going to give you the minutes of the third line over these guys that are playing on the fourth line. Yeah, it's huge to have NHL experience. It's even bigger to have NHL experience within that organization. I think that's where mm-hmm. he stands above a guy like Trey Kajula in this situation because he's familiar with the with the with the process of the team, and the team is familiar with him. That just mm-hmm. excuse me helps him out in spades over these new arrivals. I think Paling is still very interesting, and I can't get over him in this lineup I think he just might slot in because he was such a big um acquisition kind of I I mean the the deal was huge so his name being attached to it almost kind of forces your hand and you have to put him in depending Mm -hmm. but yeah Zahorna's probably going to slot in and this again to my points before he's 
been here. Everyone's familiar with each other. It's just easier for him to slide in there. And him playing in for Kapanen is just another prime example of it. Mm -hmm. When I look at the fourth line then, Drew O'Connor, Ryan Paling, Drake Kajula. O'Connor and Paling we talked about a little bit as two guys that are battling for that 12th, 13th forward spot. O'Connor, where he's at in this lineup is really the main position that we see people battling for. And I think the big thing with those two is they can both play the penalty kill, and that's what the Penguins are going to need. And they can both play center on the penalty kill, which is what the Penguins need. But a guy we haven't really talked much about is Drake Kajula. He comes over with great NHL experience, bounces around from team to team, coming over from the Buffalo Sabres, didn't play very much last season because he was injured. When you saw him on Friday and Saturday when we were there, what did you think of Drake Kajula? He's going to be a good little uh, 13th option, I think. I don't know how much of an NHL option he can be, but he's going to be a good piece to have in the organization. Almost a break glass in case of emergency type player, which mm-hmm. like last season, the Penguins once again kind of have in spades this year. Mm-hmm. Could he be an immediate help as if people are injured? Yes. Uh, I just don't see it being a day-to-day thing. Mm-hmm. He's been, he was good. Like I'm not going to say in any way he was bad, but uh, there are just other names on this lineup that – don't have to lift a finger in camp and already have a spot on this on this team. Mm-hmm. And with Kajula, the thing is, he was a top six forward in Edmonton at one point. And, and with that, you look at it and you take it with a grain of salt. Because guess who else was a top six forward on their former team? Alex Nylander. And he spent the entire first half season in the organization down with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. But when I look at Kajula, I was, I was not impressed by what I saw on Friday and Saturday. Nor was I very impressed from what I saw on Tuesday when he was in the lineup. But he looked like a solid option. He looked like he belonged in an NHL lineup. He looked like he was paced up with Paling, with O'Connor, when he was out there. And it looks like he's a he's a solid option, like you mentioned, as a replacement level player. It looks like he has the edge to the coaching staff on a guy like Josh Archibald. As well as that younger class of players in Pustinen, Poulin, Legere, and Hollander. Now, by the end of the season, do I think that one or maybe a couple of those younger guys are going to jump him just because of what they mean to the roster and where their progression could be by the end of the season? Yes. But I think Kajula, as a bridge between now and then, is a good option in case of injury. And we already see, and we talked about a couple of injuries that the Penguins are dealing with. Kajula has shown that he can score goals at the NHL level, that he can play up and down a lineup like he did in Edmonton because they needed it because they didn't have forwards. And he's showing that he's going to be here and hopefully he can be available, which is going to be the most important thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins because he wasn't that for the Sabres last season. Yes. And, uh, oh yeah, yeah, he played for the Sabres last year. When you said Edmonton, did you also mean Chicago? He played in Edmonton prior. Oh, yeah, way prior, yeah. I was wondering yeah, where you were coming that, that, from and all that. That's um, where he was a top six guy. He wasn't a top six guy when he was in Chicago, but because Edmonton was so depleted at the forward base, you would saw Drake Kajula playing alongside Connor McDavid, is which I was mentioning. Yeah, yeah, I figured it's such a... Because, I mean, you also have to figure who else is about to be a <laughs> top six guy in Edmonton this year. Greg McKegg. Anyway. <sighs> yeah, that's a, that's, that's a rough situation out there. Yeah. I mean... Always has been, but that's why that's what happens when you play two forwards, ten plus million dollars. But 
Uh, I digress to that point. The last thing I wanted to mention about this lineup, Horwat, as I bring it back up here for our YouTube watchers, the big competition is third pairing left defense. Who's there in this lineup but Ty Smith? What did you think about Smith getting this start? And do you think that that means he is currently going to be that starter in two weeks' time? I mean, just judging by the rest of the defense, the rest of the defense that was deployed in this game, I'm going to say he has the upper hand already. And that he's he certainly ahead. Yeah. In. yeah. He's, he's had the names, uh, he's had these positions all, all camp. I think, uh, I think this might be the six we see. And I think P.O. Joseph, uh, I don't want to say back to the A, but it might, is going to be number seven. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. I think he's going to be the number seven. Or if you really want to be kind to everyone and say Rue is also there, okay, fine. Ruedel and Joseph are both the number fours on their respective sides. That's mm -hmm. the way that's going to work out. So I think this is the way it's going to be. I, Ty Smith seemed, I, I said the last week for like a quick two seconds, Ty Smith seems just a touch better right now. And when it comes to building a team, it's not about names and who's been here longer. I know I had a tangent earlier about Zahorna, but it's about who's better overall mm. at the end of the day. And I mean, Zahorna has the bonus of being a better player uh, and as well as being with the organization and having NHL experience. Ty Smith has NHL experience and just looks better. And again, was another uh, trade asset. We acquired him from a in a big, in a pretty big deal, I would say, because we shipped out John Marino. So mm -hmm. this, I think, is going to be the six. And I think Ty Smith has an upper hand and the early lead between those two with about two weeks to play. And cuts have started. Small yeah, cuts, ones, but cuts have started. Small cuts have started. The Penguins have sent all of their junior players that are healthy back to their respective junior teams, and they've sent a couple goalies down to the AHL Wilkes-Barre Scranton uh, training camp as well. When I look at the defensive thing, yes, it's, it's clear and obvious that when you look at that roster, when you see what they were doing with the whole roster in its entirety, Ty Smith does have the upper hand. And he has impressed me. You know, he's come as advertised. Great with the puck, not so great without it. Like, that that's, that's what he was advertised to be. And the thing that we all always said was, here's what he's going to be is something that is going to work best when you put him with a defensive defenseman. He was with Jan Ruda in that game, which is probably the best case scenario for Ty Smith. But I wouldn't rule out Mark, uh, P.O. Joseph as of right now either, just because you saw who he was practicing with when we were up there. He's practicing with Latang for a reason. And also, the day after that game, they had a basically prospects practice, and then they had an NHL practice. And if I remember correctly, P.O. Joseph was not practicing with the prospects, or at least he wasn't in their line rushes. So he's not an afterthought as of right now. So I wouldn't rule him out yet. I think it's important to note that Smith got the first look in a dress rehearsal kind of atmosphere. But I do think it's between those two. I, I do, unfortunately, think for, for Mark Friedman fans, the uh, expected goals god, uh, I, I do think that he's probably not going to find too much playing time this season on the Penguins. No, he's probably not going to, and that hurts because he's a ton of fun to watch play and a ton of fun to have in the organization. But, mm -hmm. hey, man, that's what happens when you create a logjam and, and do nothing to relieve it. I mean, mm -hmm. we did things to adjust it. We didn't do things to relieve it, though. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, Ron Hextall said on Friday afternoon that 
he wouldn't rule out another trade before the beginning of the season in order to get cap compliant. But again, it's basically saying, yeah, what are the possibilities? There's one of them. The other possibility is just stuffing a couple people down through waivers. Like that's, that's the, uh, that's another possibility. If you asked him that question, Hey, are you going to send players through waivers to get cap compliant? He'll probably say, Hey, that's a possibility. So I don't know how much you could read into that comment. Of course, takes two to tango when it comes to the NHL trade market. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, there's not much that we want to actually take out and overreact from Tuesday's game, but 0 for 9 on the power play is something we just cannot ignore. And we'll talk about that right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Hora, we don't need to overreact to every little thing we see in the preseason. The Penguins are halfway through their schedule. They are, oh, or sorry, one and two, I should say, with two pretty bad losses in the later half of the inter-squad scrimmage on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, when it was the NHL Penguins against the AHL Red Wings, and, uh... There's something you could take out of that in that one team had a bunch of players looking to make a name for themselves and another team had a bunch of players that were using it as a glorified practice. That's that's where I think the majority of it is. And I, when I see people overreacting and saying, that's what you get for keeping the same lineup. Listen, they didn't care. And if you watch the game after the second period, once they went down five to two early in the third, they didn't care about coming back they weren't going to go out there and lollygag around but they weren't going to go out there and go you know nuts to the wall trying to make a comeback and trying to get the two points because guess what the two points don't exist so that's where that is but the one thing I do want to take out of it I wrote a piece about it in my takeaways article about the game on inside the penguins.com is the penguins power play because not only was it an issue in this game and they had their their full unit out there you know Crosby Malkin, Latang, Gensel, and Rust were all out there for, for their power plays as their top unit. Not only did they struggle on Tuesday, but that was a big issue as to why they lost in the postseason last year. Like, let's not forget, there were multiple extended five-on-three opportunities that that unit not only didn't convert on, but really didn't pressure Igor Shesterkin on. So this is an issue heading into the season already, and then when you go 0 for 9, like if it was 0 for 2, 0 for 3... All right, cool. Maybe you should work on it a little bit. But 0 for 9 is just really bad. Like, you couldn't get one goal past those AHL-level goaltenders? We're not going to get nine penalties uh, in a single game for another multiple years. Yeah. He squandered a great opportunity there to be, what, to win a preseason game 9 to 4, 5, 6. How many did they have again? Damn. Six. Hey, you had, a, you had nine opportunities to have more goals than the other team. Mm-hmm. And... Again, this is a huge issue because it stems back to last season, and it is something we talked about during the offseason that needed to be changed and fixed and adjusted. Whether it be a new trigger man, whether it be a new layout, whatever, it's whatever they did uh, on Tuesday didn't work, period. Mm-hmm. 0 for 9 is not good. Preseason or not, that's not good enough. You Again, like you said, 0 for 2, 0 for 3, we think nothing of it, we move along. 
over nine is such an extreme number that even in the preseason, something ha would have to give there. One or two, hell, maybe three would have been nice. Yeah, <laughs> one would have been nice. Like, I would have taken one power play goal. And honestly, through the nine chances, there weren't really many high danger chances for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Actually, according to Natural Stat Trick, the Red Wings had as many high danger chances on the Penguins power play as the Penguins had through nine opportunities. It was four to four. Not only did you only produce four high danger chances on nine power plays, but you gave up four high danger chances while on the man advantage. It was just, it was not a good performance. And not to dive too deep into what actually happened there, let's dive a little deeper into like what they were doing that wasn't working. Because they had the same breakout, which didn't look awful in this game, but also because how much were the Red Wings really pushing on that breakout, especially directly after coming off a, a two-on-one or, or a breakaway that they had on their own right. It kind of breaks up the penalty-killing forecheck. But there was one time I watched Sidney Crosby enter the zone with speed. I was very excited about it. I said, okay, the Red Wings are giving him respect because he's Sidney Crosby, and they're all like 13 years old. They're backing into their own zone. And then he looked like a player that's just learning how to skate, stopping because he was like, oh, wait, I was supposed to stop and pass it two lines back to... To Chris Letang, he stopped up at the blue line and you saw the Red Wings get back into formation. I didn't understand it. And that's part of the breakout is that these guys stop their momentum at the blue line as I punch my desk. But these guys usually don't enter the zone with speed and don't attack the zone with speed. And that's just mind numbing to me because Malkin, Crosby, even Russ, like this, everybody on this unit has the capability of making a defenseman look stupid in a one-on-one -on -one opportunity. But they don't take that opportunity on the power play. Instead, they try to enter the zone slowly or on a dump in after they get everybody at the blue line. And it doesn't make sense to me. No, especially in the preseason, like just roll with whatever you have. If you do something by accident, all right, yeah. change on the fly. We're all, all five of those men are good enough to do that. Mm -hmm. I just can't get over that overnight because it's such an, an extreme number that. And again, like maybe you really just weren't trying that hard. But at the same time, this is an issue that needed to be fixed last year. It's time to try hard. If you were going to go hard during 18 minutes of a game, let it be those 18 minutes. Yeah, you spend a third of the game on the power play and you don't convert on any of it. It's kind of crazy. But the good thing and the one thing I'll take away from this, who knows if it actually translates to the regular season if results don't get better. Mike Sullivan and... Associate coach Todd Reardon, for what it's worth, they did switch up the deployment a little bit. Not in the personnel, which is something else they they, they can do heading into the season. And I, I put that in the article, so I'm not going to mention that here. But they switched the deployment with the players on the ice. At one point, Crosby went up high in the Malkin slot on the half wall, and, Cro and Malkin went back down low. That's, that's a little interesting wrinkle. And I thought it brought a different look, and I think the penalty kill noticed that and had to take that into consideration because the Penguins power play has been the same for the past three seasons. So people know how to defend it on the other end. Whenever that wasn't working, they said, let's try something else. Malkin and Russ switched sides who were, they each play the high half wall. They switched and it kind of ran through Brian Russ a little bit, which brought another little wrinkle into this thing because Brian Rust shot the puck more whenever things were run through him. than Evgeny Malkin, because it seems like just because they have this much skill, they think that they can do the impossible passes. And don't get me wrong, when it works, 
it works really well. But when it doesn't work, it creates high danger opportunities for the other team because you're passing it basically through people's skates that if they catch up on it, they get the puck and it's either an easy clear, which we see so many times with this Penguins power play and have seen it over the past year, or it's a two-on-one or a breakaway opportunity, which we saw plenty of on Tuesday. It is still early enough, like we mentioned, two weeks until the regular season, but that is such a glaring issue that it needs to be looked at by the Penguins a little bit harder the next couple days of practice. How many shots on goal do they have in those in those 18 minutes? I do not have that metric, but I'm pretty sure it was like, I think it was 13. So it wasn't like they weren't shooting the puck at all, but 13 shots on nine power play opportunities. How many of those were just kind of throw it at the net because we're running out of time. And also how many of those were the second unit? Cause the second unit got plenty of time. Oh yeah. You would have, you would assume so. If, I mean, like you said, 18 minutes is a third of the game. Damn mm-hmm. near. So, yeah, I just want to know how many shots because that's another thing. Like, if you're not even getting your opportunities on net, you're doing something completely wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's something that just needs to be fixed because this is something we've been talking about since last year. We know mm-hmm. all five of these guys can find the back of the net with ease. Yeah. We know that. It's a matter of now doing it because having the man advantage is such a big advantage to the game. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the siren off here. This is my opinion. But maybe the Red Wings were taking more penalties because they were less skilled than the Penguins and they were reaching. A couple of those penalties were holding, slashing, hooking, just penalties that you could usually see from a team that is a little bit slower than the team they're playing. And that's where a couple of those penalties came for the Detroit Red Wings. We might see the same thing on opening night against the Coyotes. So the Penguins might be on the man advantage I'm not going to say nine times because that is a, a ridiculous amount of times on the power play. But you might see three or four power plays for the Pittsburgh Penguins on opening night. And they need to be better than they were last night. You might be in the same exact position as you were on Tuesday night. And you need to take advantage of that because that's when you're looking to get off to a great start. And that's when the points count. It is, yeah. it's We, we might not get nine power plays until game five. You know, it's... As a total. As a total, yeah. Okay. I thought you were saying just in a game. I was like, what? <laughs> no, predict. A little ridiculous, but as a total. Okay, game continue. Five, nine power, no, we might not get nine more power plays until game five of the season. Hell, maybe even six, depending on how the refs want to view hockey this year. Mm-hmm. So these opportunities are not going to come lightly. Mm-hmm. You have to take advantage of them when you can. And getting a hell of a lot of practice in the preseason with nine opportunities, despite them being minor leaguers or not, is something and squandered unless this was your practice and you're trying to honestly shape out other ways of doing things maybe and like you said uh or like i said sorry they switched the deployment a little bit crosby and malkin switching high and low malkin and russ switching sides they, they tried a couple of different things i think that there could be some personnel things that they changed but you'll have to, to read the article for that i gotta i gotta shuffle some people over to the website Absolutely. while i'm doing this but the one thing that mike sullivan said when asked about it after the game was well, we haven't practiced it a lot at camp so far, so there might have been a little bit of rust on their part. Listen, I don't want to hear that because this unit has been the same power play unit for how long? There's no... You can't have rust. And rust wears off after 
power play opportunity number four. So I, I don't want to hear, hey, they were a little rusty because we haven't practiced it enough. Okay, these guys have done it for how many years in a row? And they had nine opportunities. And they looked ru just as rusty on power play opportunity number nine as they did on power play opportunity number one. So it's something that, yes, please practice more. But also... It's an overreaction because it's a preseason game, and how much did they really care by the end of it, like we all mentioned? Uh, yeah, but still, something's, some, something would have to go right, right? Yeah, it, you know, it, it it's an overreaction, but still, the reason we're talking about it is it is so blasphemous to go 0 for 9 on a power play in any instance that it needs to be talked about, especially when it's a unit of a couple Hall of Famers, another Penguins Hall of Famer, and two really, really good 30 to 40 goal scorers. Our deck hockey team in deck hockey could score at least two with with nine-man advantages. It's because our deck hockey team couldn't pass the puck, so we just kept shooting it. Hey, and eventually it would go in, so... Exactly. And one of us would get punched in the face, but that's neither here nor there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to give our Metro Division power rankings. We're going to talk a little bit about the division that is for the Pittsburgh Penguins as Horwat pulls out his notebook. We'll talk about that and more on the tip of the iceberg. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We got two weeks, 14 days. Chris Kunitz, amount of days left until the Pittsburgh Penguins take on the Arizona Coyotes in game one of 82 in pursuit of a sixth Stanley Cup in franchise history. But in order to do that, they're going to have to get through a pretty mighty Metropolitan Division here. And I'm going to let you lead us off with your Metropolitan Division preseason power rankings, something that we're going to do either once a month or probably more than likely once every other month as it's, we'll say this is October's month, but we'll, we'll do these power rankings throughout the season and see where they change. But Horwat, I'll let you lead us off. What are your power rankings for the Penguins Division? Where shall I start? Bottom or top? Go ahead from the top. From the top, okay. Uh, just in quick succession and then maybe a couple words on them. I have Carolina leading it just because Carolina seems to always be better than anyone gives them credit for. Uh, the New York Rangers, uh, well, I mean, they beat us, so. And they just seem like a good team still. If, if Sturgeon can, can continue his nonsense, they are going to be up there. Third, Penguins, because uh, I think we haven't proved, but we'll see where things usually we, – we usually don't lead the division anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, four, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets made some interesting moves this offseason. Okay, and okay, that's that, that's a wrinkle right there. It is, because 100-plus point Johnny Goudreau getting added to that lineup is going to help a ton. Mm -hmm. Number five, the Washington Capitals. Despite Alex Ovechkin being as good as he is, um, mm -hmm. losing Backstrom's going to hurt a ton, and I just don't see them holding on to things anymore. Uh, yeah, you have the list here in front of me. Number six, the Islanders. Uh, they're just the Islanders. Number seven, the Devils. I think, I, listen, listen, man, everyone might be impressed with the Devils. I still just don't see it. It's still not mm. their year. Uh, what you didn't add in here is the 50 feet of crap that I talked about. Uh, I ran out of space. I'm sorry. That's totally fine. But then there's 50 feet of crap between the Devils and the number eight team, the Philadelphia Flyers, because holy heck, is that team going to be bad this year? And somehow they might still beat us a couple times. Well, that's just how it works with rivalry games. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat us once or twice, if they beat the Rangers, if they beat the Capitals. They're not going to get swept by all these teams. It's just not not 
plausible, especially in the Metro. Right, yeah. And the Metro is damn good this year. The Atlantic might have a little bit of an edge on the on the Metro this year, but that's just in terms of pure all eight teams being decent. Here it is. There's definitely a top five to maybe six. Mm. Uh, and then, like I said, the Devils, I just don't uh, – man, eventually things man. will turn around for the Devils. I'm going to continue being a hater. I'm so sorry. The disrespect is real. Like, Neil is not going to like this episode, Horwat. No, and I think I may have even said last year that th- next year could be their year to finally get in full swing, but the rest of the Metro just continues to look very good. There's mm-hmm. nothing much I can do about it. I mean, the, I'm giving the Blue Jackets way more credit than I want to, but something about having Johnny Goudreau mm-hmm. start just being in that lineup should help a ton, and they're just – they can be an interesting team that they – they beat us. They beat the hell out of us all the time. Why couldn't they do that for more to, to more teams? Okay, the one team that you have uh, still at number six, they got a new coach, is Lane Lambert and the New York Islanders. Do you just think it's the same old team without Barry Trotz, and that just gets worse? It's that's such an interesting team because they're such a quiet team. Like, yeah, they did nothing this off season. Yeah, you don't notice them. You don't know what they're doing right or wrong you don't you just don't hear about them and when you're listening to the, the national stuff so there's only so much i can take from that team because i'm not going to voluntarily go look into what they've been doing um you make splashes or you don't and they literally did nothing aren't they the one team that actually didn't do anything yes they did literally nothing yeah I, honestly i should have moved them down under new jersey but they're still decent i think in typical Lou Lamorello fashion they made all their re-signings on one day and then that was it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there's only so much I can do for the Islanders and the Devils. I mean, hey, you know what? Maybe one, maybe next month I flip those two spots. But I feel like I'm <laughs> going to be locking in that eight seed all year long. Yeah, you're really low on the Philadelphia Flyers. So, do you want to give the people your one through eight really quickly before I, I go into mine? Yes, sir. One, Carolina. Two, the New York Rangers. Three, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Four, Columbus Blue Jackets. Five, Washington Capitals. Six New York Islanders, seven uh, New Jersey Devils, seven and a half, five feet of crap, and number eight, the Philadelphia Flyers. There it is. Nick Horwath's preseason power rankings for the Metropolitan Division. I like your rankings. Mine aren't vastly different, but they are still different. Like There's still a lot of things that are switched, maybe not by as many spots. And the, the first thing for me is is the top of the line right there. I don't think it's the Carolina Hurricanes. You said a lot of people kind of disrespect them. And this might be adding me to the list of those people that disrespect them. But I do think that you have to respect the team that went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And had the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, maybe not the whole way all the ropes, but they had them on their back foot. After going up, what was it, two to nothing early in that series? So, when you still have a guy like Igor Shosturkin, the the reigning defending Vesna Trophy winner, a guy that also got heart consideration last year, that's something special. And you know what wins you games in the National Hockey League? What wins you division titles? Goaltending and special teams. And I, I think the Rangers are one of the top teams in both. I don't think Chris Kreider is going to be able to duplicate his 50-plus goal season from last year where he almost had a 30-goal season on the power play alone. But that's still a really good unit with, with Kreider, with you know Zibanejad, with Panarin, with Adam Fox. You know, it, It's such a good team, and the only questionable move they made all offseason doesn't really affect the on-ice play, and it's putting a C on Jacob Truba's chest. So I, I really like the New York Rangers, and, and that's the reason they're the top team in the in the Metro for me. Carolina's number two. 
there's no doubt about that, that it, it's, a, it's a class of two at the top of this division. I have questions about Freddie Anderson, as everybody always does. Like, yeah. he looked really good last season when he was healthy. But again, he missed the postseason due to injury. Like, can he be available? And until he is shown to be consistent and best ability is availability, once he shows me he can do that, maybe I think more of this team, but... One of the best coach teams in the league, Rod Brindamore, is always in consideration for the Jack Adams for good reason. Sebastian Ajo is underrated. Andre Svechnikov is is vastly underrated, and that team just in general is a team that maybe is a victim of where they play, but uh, they're making noise in Raleigh, that's for sure. Uh, number three, and I'll put this one up now finally on the YouTube stream. Number three, I have the Washington Capitals. Uh, because, you know, the Penguins got better. I do agree with you. I have them at number four. But I think the Washington Capitals got better as well. If you look at the Caps, they also dealt with injuries similar to the Penguins last season. TJ Oshie only played half the season. Anthony Mantha only played half the season. Nick Backstrom only played like a quarter of the season. Now, Backstrom's going to be out again. but And so is Tom Wilson for the first couple months, which just changes the, the entire face of this team. But Oshie and Mantha being healthy to start the year is, is huge. It helps their offense immensely. Dylan Strome and Connor Brown are two really good additions. I like those additions for this team. You know, especially Strome was was thrust into a bigger role in Chicago. He can sit back and play a third-line role in Washington, and I think he'll thrive in that position. And, and Connor Brown, it just seems like he fits the mold of a Washington Capitol. Not to mention the fact that after two years of trying to figure out what they have in goal, they brought in Darcy Kemper, who, while he's not the, the great Vesna Trophy-winning guy that he was expected to be when he left Arizona. He's still a very good goaltender, and he's definitely better than anything the Capitals have had in Samsonov and Vanacek. So I have the Capitals over the Pittsburgh Penguins, and, the, and to roll out the rest of my list, I put the Islanders at five. They were one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League to finish the season last year. Trots being out and Lambert in, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. But I go back to good goaltending, and Ilya Sorokin was really good last year. So uh, I have the Islanders at number five. I have a little bit more respect for the New Jersey Devils than you do, Horwat. Uh, last year, I might have jumped the gun a little bit. I think I put them at number five, or I might have even put them at number four just because I was blinded by all the flashy offseason moves like Dougie Hamilton, and I loved Jack Hughes. And, you know, I still like all those things about the, the New Jersey Devils. Their goaltending is questionable. Mackenzie Blackwood was not good last season. They add a guy like Vanacek, who I think is a much better backup than what Nico Dawes, who they had last year, Scott Wedgwood. So I think they're improved in that area. I do like their defense. I think John Marino does give them a nice little added punch to the bottom of that defensive lineup. So I think they're going to be better this year. As long as they can stay healthy, you know, Heashier and Hughes have both missed a lot of time early on in their career. They need to stay healthy for that team. And I do like the Andre Palat signing. I think that's nice that they have one of the youngest teams in the National Hockey League with a lot of talent, you know, Igor Sharangovich had a, a bit of a down season, but if you get a guy like Pilat in there, maybe he can help him out and, and get it back on the right foot. Then I have Columbus. Listen, I love their top nine. Their top nine forwards are really good. Like, they're going to be actually a very dangerous offensive team this year. But that defense leaves a lot to be desired. It, it really does. It's Wierenski, and like you mentioned about the Flyers, it's Wierenski 50 feet of crap and then the rest of their defense core. Like, Jake Bean is okay. It's just not a not a core that is that good. Denton Matechuk, who we both talked about a lot leading up to the draft, got drafted in this team, not going to play for this team. But there are a couple young guys 
that I think are going to be electric. We talked about the, the kid line in New York with Kako, Heedle, and Lafreniere. Columbus is going to going to bring out their version of this line as their third line to start the season. And Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, and Kirill Marchenko. That's going to be a fun line to watch. That's going to be a line that I'm going to be keeping a lot of tabs on. And honestly, at the end of the day, Elvis Mers Lincolns, very good goaltender, very funny goaltender. Like that guy mic'd up. I saw a video a little bit ago. It was great. Like I love Elvis Mers Lincolns. I can't get enough of them. So I have them at number seven. And then, you know, Carter Hart just isn't it. John Tortorella is John Tortorella. Philadelphia Flyers are, are my eighth seed. It's it's going to be an interesting year. And I think one thing about the Devils, if you, as you were talking, I looked at their cap friendly. They have 11, I think it is, contracts that are in their final year. 11. A lot of prove it. A lot of prove it there. There's a lot of prove it, but it's not, they're not huge guys that you're super worried about in the future. Like one of them's Thomas Tatar. One of them's mm. Miles Wood. Eric Halla, he's got a lot to prove, I guess, for a couple more seasons. He but only signed a one-year deal, I'm pretty sure. I'm yeah. Pretty sure he just signed this offseason. Signed that prove it deal, so there's not too much to really pull from for the Devils. I just don't see it happening. And a lot of disrespect to the Blue Jackets, I guess, for you. I think that defense, whereas you're right, it is Zach Warinski and then hey, his, his band of merry men. Eric Branson's there making a ton of money. Well, you know. Okay. Jake, well, Jake you're making my point for me. I am, exactly. <laughs> so we'll have to see. But they seem like a team that can absolutely outscore their problems if need be. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, man. it's. I think when it comes to the East as a whole, uh, the Atlantic, it might be taking both wildcard spots because Ooh. it's, like I said, not when you look at the Atlantic, it's definitely eight, seven very decent teams and a uh, bunch Buffalo. of teams. And Buffalo. Well, I don't know. It's a bunch of teams that have a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. But I think I wouldn't be shocked to see the Atlantic take both wild card spots and um, the uh, the Metro only getting in with three, three, four, three, three. only getting in with three play with three teams in the playoffs. I don't think that happens yet. I think that that change is coming, but I think two teams are not going to make the playoffs that you're probably thinking of could be playoff teams or could fight for the playoffs. Boston's not that good. Boston is not that good this year. Right. They're not. They're not that team. I don't care that Bergeron's back for one more ride. I don't care that I... they brought Krejci out of retirement and flew him over the Atlantic. They're not that good. And they're not going to make the playoffs this year. And the Senators, I, don't I love what they did. But the Senators, it's not their time yet. No, I don't see the it Senators It will be, but it's it not yet. I don't see the Senators doing it either. I think if I was to glance at it right now and say who were the five teams making the playoffs out of the East, out of the Atlantic, sorry, Toronto, Tampa, and Florida, I feel like are three locks. Um, I mean, Boston, I'd, I would throw in there, and I don't know, maybe Detroit. It's a weird situation. To me, Detroit doesn't have the goaltending. Right. And they don't have the depth. If there's an injury, they're done. And we saw it last year. There was an injury. Tyler Bertuzzi couldn't play in Canada. When they were when they missed one of their big three guys, they were done. Boston, I already I already talked about yeah. them. Uh, but you know, I, I would agree that Florida and Toronto and Tampa they're all pretty much locks. But I also would be remiss if I didn't say that the Toronto Maple Leafs have taken a step back. The Florida Panthers certainly took a step back from being absolutely ridiculous last year. So like, there's no way they can live up to that. Um, and they gave up 
a really big contract to a guy that definitely didn't deserve it yet in Spencer Knight. Um, but same thing, you know, goaltending. Look at Toronto. Is Matt Murray that guy? You know, is Ilya Samsonov that guy? Yikes. That's, that's you know, why did they get rid of Freddie Anderson? Like, what what is going on there? Like, I understand that you needed to change every once in a while, but in net, that was a, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a long way down Shit's Creek, that's for sure. Yeah, I think anything is possible in that division, though. Any, mm-hmm. Like, someone might pop off. Someone could fall apart. I think Montreal and Ottawa both have very improved seasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know about making the playoffs, but I yeah. don't know. That, the Atlanta's going to be a dogfight all up and down because all eight teams are either good or have something to prove and can and, and did improve. I, th- I don't mm-hmm. think there's a team that took a step back in the Atlantic. Maybe Boston. I don't care for Krejci coming back either. But I think I think that was that was a hail mary for them. It is. I, I think they saw what they had. They know they're holding on to to hope. That's why they brought back you know one more year of one guy, one more year of another guy. So you know it's it, it's interesting where they're at. The last thing I will say, you mentioned the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I do like the Blue Jackets. I do think that you know I mentioned their third line is going to be great. But when your top center is Boone Jenner, like they don't have your, center help. Yeah, your your top center is Boone Jenner, and also what is Patrick Line? Like, is he a top line guy? He has top line talent, but I just don't know if he's you know you're not that guy, fam. You're not that guy. You can't do it consistently. You're not the forty goal scorer you once were, or projected forty goal scorer you once were. So their top line guys have questions. Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, that's gonna be great. He's still afraid of the freaking cannon. Like, come on. You can't be afraid of the cannon and play in Columbus. I guess he'll have plenty of time to get used to it when he scores 30 goals this season. But nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, to finish off this episode, to, to one last time say my Metro Division rankings, Rangers in first, Carolina Hurricanes second, Capitals third, Penguins fourth, Islanders fifth, Devils sixth, Columbus Blue Jackets seventh. I'll go along with you 50 feet of crap and then the Philadelphia Flyers... Uh, at number eight it's just it's clearly a rebuilding year somebody just needs to tell chuck fletcher that it is it's clearly rebuilding years putting it lightly i think but yes so that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg thank you so much for tuning in what we still have in the next two weeks before we get to the opening game we're gonna give a little bold predictions or what We're going to give a little bit of our season predictions, and there is a difference there. Bold predictions are ones that are not necessarily realistic. Like, there's one I got about Tristan Jari that's going to be real interesting. So we have bold predictions, season predictions. We're going to try to get a couple interviews in before the season because 14 days, Chris Kunitz days, we'll have real NHL hockey to talk about. That's it for this one. We'll see you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend, Penguins fans. Penguins fans.